0: ready to go. I'm charged up. My iPad's charged up where my sermon notes are. And so we're just so grateful uh, for this time to spend together in God's Word. Now what I want to do, we pray a prayer that will help us to get the most out of the message. Because the Bible says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the uh, Lord is telling to the churches. And so everybody here has ears. you got physical ears, but you need to turn on your spiritual ears to hear from God. So let's pray a prayer that will help us to do that this morning, okay? So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, uh, I want you to uh, pray this prayer with me this morning. Lord, help me to hear from you today. Did you pray that? Even our youth, every one of them, every one of us here, Lord, help me to really hear from You today. Lord, help me to understand Your Word. And then help me to learn to live it out. For we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I'm in a series, if you haven't been here, I know some of our youth have not been here, um, and I'm calling it The Ten Keys to Living Large. There are ten keys that God has given us to unlock a door, what I call living large. Living large means a life that is very blessed and fulfilling. It's the life God intended for us. It is really what everybody's searching for, but they're looking for it in the wrong places. Everybody's looking for happiness. Everybody's looking for peace. And they're trying to go... To this door, and and when they try to open up this door and they get in, they're like, Well, this ain't the right door. Then they go to another door and they say, Well, this isn't the right door once they walk in. It isn't here. Living large is not here. Then how do I get that? Well, there are 10 keys to open up this life that I call living large, all that God intended you to be. Now, Gail and I moved here, it's hard to believe, almost three years ago. And we knew that when God was calling us here, it was time to go house hunting. That is a laborious uh, task. It is very strenuous, sometimes a little bit stressful. And so we looked on the internet first, and so we, you know, we probably looked at 100 houses on the internet. But we narrowed it down to maybe about 15 houses together. But we had to go with our real estate agent to visit these houses and walk in. And there, some of them were good. I'm glad we ended up where we, where we are now. I love our house that God gave to us. But here's the one deal breaker. It doesn't matter how pretty the house looked or if I really wanted to move there, there was one deal breaker. It's if we saw a big crack in the foundation. If we saw a big crack in the foundation of that house, we knew there's going to be major problems probably for the rest of the life of that house. And in order to get it fixed, it would cost thousands of dollars, maybe ten thousands of dollars. So we immediately said, crack foundation, no way. Do you know? There you go. (laughs) There you go. I love it. I love it when the kids respond, which tells us this, they're listening, you know. They may be drawing crayons, but they are still listening, so praise the Lord. All right, but listen to this. The foundation for a country is the Word of God. And listen, you know why America is crumbling? It's not because of Democrats. It's not because Republicans, Hollywood, or anywhere else. The reason America is crumbling is because we have removed the Ten Commandments. It is the foundation. It's the foundation for the home. And listen to this. It is the foundation for your life. Matter of fact, one time when I preached through the Ten Commandments... uh, I mean, it must have been 15 or 20 years ago. Here's the, here's the sermon series title I used then, Foundations for Living, because that's what the Ten Commandments are. Now, look at this verse. This is very, very important. Look at this. Whoops. How did I jump over that? How in the world did I do that? All right, let me, let me get past here, and I'll come back to it. All right. I have no idea why well, I didn't show up. It didn't download. But let me, let me read you the verse. Uh, here we go. I'm sorry, y'all. Let me get on track here again. All right, let me read this verse to you. Anyone, Jesus said, who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Listen to that. Everybody here? Listen, this is how I'm going to help you. I know you're tired. I'm tired too this morning. But I have something right here called holy water. And if I see you sleeping, I'll take some of this and I'll anoint you with holy water. Okay, that'll help you stay awake. Anyway, and y'all know I'm not above doing that, don't you? No. Uh, So uh, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Anyone who listens to my word and obeys it is wise. Like a person, he gives an analogy, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on a rock. But, listen to this, if anyone hears my word and does not do it, does not obey it, it's like, it says, he is foolish. Foolish. Like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will fall with a mighty crash. What is that saying? If you begin to build your life on the Word of God, God will give you a solid foundation, and it doesn't matter what comes in your life no matter if a boyfriend breaks up with you or a girlfriend breaks up with you, no matter if you have a home that's very difficult, no matter if you go through a financial crisis you have all these troubles which you will experience in your life. I'm not exempt from that. Nobody here is. Life's going to be full of trouble and here's what you've got to do. If you're on a solid foundation of the Word of God and you chew on it every day, doesn't matter what comes, you're going to be at peace and you'll be wise. But if you just ignore this and just walk out of here and do nothing with what I'm preaching today, God says you're foolish. If you hear a word from God and you ignore it, you're a fool. That's pretty bad when Jesus calls you a fool, isn't it? I could call you a fool, and maybe you do some foolish things, but Jesus said in your character you're a fool, you're and let us just say today in our... You're an idiot if you don't do this. You are an idiot if you don't listen to God's Word and obey God's Word in your life. Now, the foundation, I think... Here we go. The foundation for living... This foundation happened some... uh, 4,000 years ago with this guy right here, Moses. Okay? And he, God called him up on a mountain and He wrote out special instructions for His people called the Ten Commandments. They are the ten building blocks of that strong house right there. They're the foundation of how we're to live for God. These ten commandments here are not just to be studied or displayed like this. They're to be lived out. And so as I look at this passage here, I want you to understand this is not just a lesson. This is not like school where you're taught something and you got a test on it. The real test is not whether you can recite it. The real test is, are you living it? That's what unlocks... That key to living large. That's the key. The key is not just listening. The key is listening and obeying. Uh, Here's another way to say that. It's listening and applying it to my life. When I hear a sermon on prayer, you know what I ought to do? I ought to start really praying. When I hear a sermon on giving, if I'm not giving, then I need to be giving. If I hear a sermon on sharing my faith and inviting people to church, you know what you need to do? Share your faith and invite people to church. You got it? You hear it, and then you obey it. That's the key. It will not unlock unless you have those keys. The the Ten Commandments are not for God's benefit. They are for our benefit. Listen to what David Jeremiah, the great preacher in California, said about the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, the infinite character and holy requirements of God are reduced... And recorded for our welfare. He's just saying, look, here's the ABCs of how to live for me. And they were recorded for our benefit. They are the foundation of ethics. And obeying them is the secret of happiness. So eternally true, yet so simple. Ten commandments. Just ten that are the basis. An old English verse states them like this. These are rules not to hinder our happiness, but to teach us how to live our lives to the fullest. Hence, ten keys to living large. Now, I want to review just for a moment. These are the Ten Commandments, and I put them in a positive spin because most of the Ten Commandments are, do not do this, do not do that, do not do this, do not do that. There's a flip side of that coin And I put them in the positive way. The first one is this, don't have any other gods before me. And I said this, put the Lord first. Then I said about the, don't have any graven images. Don't make an image or an idol unto me, so accept no substitutes. Listen, some of you, listen, you are substituting this for something you think will bring you happiness. You are substituting a little g God in your life for something that can bring you happiness. And God said, don't do that. Don't put an idol before me. Accept no substitutes. Um, Then we talked about taking God seriously. Because the Bible, God says, don't use my name in vain. Don't use it lightly. Don't use it in a cuss word. Take God seriously. And here's what we're going to talk about today. Use a day to pause, rest, and worship. Where does that come from? God said, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Don't forget this day. Use a day to pause, rest, and worship. Here's the other ones, real quick Respect and obey your parents. That comes from honor your father and mother. Honor and protect human life. God says, Thou shalt not murder. Practice and promote purity. Don't commit adultery. Don't, uh, don't lie about stuff. Get things honestly. Uh, oh, excuse me. Get things on, honestly. That means, uh, let me go to this. Uh, thou shalt not steal. That's get things honestly. Be truthful. God said don't lie. Learn to be content because God said don't covet. Don't always be wanting stuff. Don't covet. So with that in mind... Let's take a look at this fourth commandment where we are today. And we're going to talk about the Sabbath day. Keeping the Sabbath. Use a day to pause, rest, and worship. Here's the commandment. Now look at this. Focus on this. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath "...of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you." That's a guest in your home. "...for in six days..." Why? Why does he give us this commandment? God sets the pattern. "...for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea that in all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day." Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and He made it holy. He made it holy. Again, you know what the word holy means? When God said the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week is holy, it means this is a special day and you need to set it apart. You need to make it the priority of your week. It's the most important day of the week. Now it's interesting to note this that this commandment is the longest of all the Ten Commandments. That ought to capture your uh, attention. You know what that means? God's real serious about this day to Paul's rest, and worship. Because he spent a lot of time explaining it. Now, as we look at this day, let's first start, about, start off by talking about the explanation of the word Sabbath. Now, a lot of us kind of understand this In our minds as New Testament believers, we understand this means the explanation of the Sabbath. The word Sabbath means go to church on Sunday. In our minds, right? We think about the Sabbath. Honoring the Sabbath, we think about go to church on Sunday. But did you know the word word Sabbath um, means to rest? It means to cease from work. Did you know that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, He did something. He rested. You know what that means? It didn't mean God got through and said, Woo! That was tough. (laughs) Six days, I'm worn out. Creating all the stars and the humans and everything like that. God was not worn out. He ceased. He just simply stopped creating on the seventh day because He wanted to set the pattern of the week. We have a seven-day week, do we not? We have a seven-day week. And we're to work six days of that. And usually for us, a lot of that looks like this. We go to work five days a week, or we're in the home working five days a week. On Saturday, we may cut grass and do things around the house and run some errands. That's cool. It's going to take you six days to get done what needs to be done in your life if you put the Lord first. But on that seventh day, Sunday, is the day we're to stop it, we're to chill and we're to worship God on that seventh day, and for us in the New Testament days, it is on Sundays. Now, there's uh, Jerry Vine's a great preacher, and he gives us seven types of Sabbaths that are mentioned in the Bible. First is this initial Sabbath, which God set up at creation. Let me just read a verse to you. Uh, by the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. Genesis two. On the seventh day, He stopped the work He had been doing. Then God blessed that day and set it apart because on that day, He stopped all the work of His creation. God set the clock. Here's how you operate. Six days of work, stop one day and worship me. That's the initial Sabbath mentioned in the Bible in the second chapter of the Bible. Now here's another type of Sabbath. It's called the temporal Sabbath. May I say this? This was for the Jews in the wilderness. It was for a temporary period of time. And it mainly had to do with how God fed them. See, they were out in the wilderness. That was the desert. That's not where a bunch of trees are. They're out in the desert and they're hungry. I mean, everybody's got to eat. You know how many Jews there were out there? At least two million Jews. At least two million Jews. There she is. She's waking up. She knows holy water's coming. Um, this was just for the Jews at this time. And so they're starving, and God begins to feed them angel food. It was this, these little wafers, and they called it manna. And the Jews went out there and they're looking at all these wafers out there, these vanilla wafers. (laughs) They're looking at all these vanilla wafers and they go, what is it? You know what the word manna means in Hebrew? What is it? Okay, so they're eating, what is it? And they would go out there and God said, go out there for six days and gather that food and on the sixth day gather two loads of food. So on the seventh day, you don't have to gather it. And so they doubled up on the sixth day so they could not work on the Sabbath day. That was the temporal temporal Sabbath. By the way, some of them disobeyed that and they went out there on the seventh day and when they started to gather that manna and work on the Sabbath day, those things began to rot with worms. Can I tell you something? You ignore going to church, you ignore making God a priority in your life, and I'm telling you, the devil and his demons will rot your life. There was the temporal Sabbath. Then there's the festival Sabbath. The Jews had these holidays, like we have 4th of July. We have uh, different days of the year, Veterans Day, you, you name it, President's Day. Those are days to honor something the festivals acknowledged and honored God and the different things that He does in our lives. Alright? There was the festival, Sabbath. And listen to what the Bible says in Leviticus 23-36 through 36 about this. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets, you were to have a day of rest. So it was like during different times of the year, God gave them an extra Sabbath to rest on that day, a festival Sabbath. Now listen to this. There was the agricultural Sabbath. Here's what God told them. After seven years, in the book of Leviticus, He says, now, what I want you to do, after seven years, let the land lie still. God wanted to refertilize that land and make it fresh again. Don't make any crops on that seventh year. Let the land lie still every seven years. okay? That was the agricultural Sabbath. Then there's the spiritual Sabbath, and this happens when you get saved. Hebrews 4:11, we should do our best to enter that place of rest, so that none of us will disobey and miss going there as they did. So God uses the picture of Jews that broke the Sabbath who were working, and He relates it to our salvation. You know, a lot of people are trying to work for their salvation. They're trying to do good deeds for their salvation. They're even trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Here's the problem, for their salvation. Ten Commandments don't save you. They're a good guideline to live, but they don't save you. Neither does baptism save you. Neither does giving money save you. But when you cease those things, when you stop doing those things, and you trust in the work Jesus did on the cross, you enter a spiritual Sabbath. Therefore, we are justified by faith. And we have peace with God, rest with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the spiritual Sabbath, let me read, uh, where'd that hymnal go, Gail? There was a hymnal. Okay, I had it marked too. There we go. All right, here we go. Thanks, Mariana, for stealing part of my sermon. Okay, listen to this. It says this, My faith has found a resting place. Not in device or creed, I trust the ever-living one His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. You enter into that spiritual Sabbath. But then there are two more Sabbaths. There's the millennial Sabbath. There's going to be a thousand year reign. Jesus is coming back. And for a thousand years, He's going to literally rule and reign on this earth. He came the first time, Jesus got phase number two. The second time, He's going to come back to this earth. We are literally going to see Jesus if we're saved. He's literally going to be on the throne and literally in a temple in Jerusalem. And God is going to give that rest to the entire earth for a thousand years. For those of us who are saved. That is the millennial Sabbath. Then there's another Sabbath, and that is the eternal Sabbath. That is, when we enter into the full eternal state, we will have eternal rest with Jesus, the millennial Sabbath. Now it's interesting, there is seven Sabbaths. you see that? Seven of those. You know the number seven represents in the Bible? Perfection. This is perfect. God says the Sabbath is a perfect, perfect day. Now, let me mention this to you. There is, well, there's the eternal Sabbath. There's a transformation on the Sabbath. Now, you may not know this. You may not know this. But the Jews, whom God gave this command to, worshipped on... The Sabbath was Friday night through Saturday afternoon. That was the Sabbath day. But you know what? In the New Testament, God made a major change. He changed it to Sunday. Okay? So what caused this transformation of the... Sabbath. Listen to what the Jews, the first Christians, they got saved were the Jews. And it says this in Acts 20 verse 7. On Sunday, we met to break bread. Paul was discussing the, script, the Scriptures to people. That is, Paul was preaching on Sunday now. And we should only worship... And he says... Um, excuse me. Since he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking till midnight. I thought this was kind of funny. Robert, this just really tickled me. I didn't think about that verse. Guess what time we got home last night? Midnight. He was preaching till midnight. And you know what happened? There was a guy, a young man, sitting in the window. Paul was preaching till midnight. And this young man got the nods. He was tired. It's midnight. It's midnight. And he fell backwards three stories. And he died. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, a church member died listening to the pastor, right? (laughs) I think some of y'all are tired, but you're not going to die, okay? You will not die. But Paul said, don't worry about this. Paul had the power of God. went down there and raised that boy from the dead and brought him back into church, okay? But it happened on a Sunday. Now, listen to what Ron Rhodes said about this great biblical scholar. He asked the question, Why do Christians worship on Sunday when the Old Testament commands us to set apart Saturday as the day of worship? What made the big change? What made the transformation? Here's what he said. The commandment in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, states that the seventh day of the week, Saturday is the day which the Lord selects, the day of rest and worship. However, In the New Testament, the Christian church began to worship and rest on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Are Christians violating the Sabbath commandment by not worshiping on the first, by worshiping on the first day of the week rather than the seventh day? I do not think so. First, the basis for the command to observe the Sabbath, as stated in Exodus 20, 11, is that God rested on the Sabbath day after six days of work and that God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. The seventh day of the week is Saturday. The first day of the week is not Monday, it's Sunday. Now look what he said. The Sabbath day was instituted as a day of rest and worship. The people of God were to follow... His example in his pattern of work and rest. However, as Jesus said in correcting the distorted view of the Pharisees, the real super religious, legalistic, holier now people, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath. They'd get argumenting and they said, hey, you pulled an ox out of a ditch. You're violating the Sabbath. Jesus, your disciples are eating bread. You're not work, resting. You're violating the Sabbath. And they got all nitpicky about what they're supposed to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, now wait a minute. Time out. The Sabbath, God doesn't need the Sabbath. You need the Sabbath. You need to have a day where you set it aside and you worship where you worship God. Now then he goes on to say this, the point is that the Sabbath was not instituted to enslave people, but to benefit them. The spirit of the Sabbath observance is continued in the New Testament observance of rest and worship on the first day of the week. Then he says this, Second, it must be remembered that according to Colossians 2.17, the Sabbath was a shadow of things to come but the substances of Christ. The Sabbath observance was associated with the redemption. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, when Moses stated, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord God brought you up out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm, therefore the Lord your God gave you a commandment to keep the Sabbath day. That Sabbath was a shadow of the redemption that would be ours provided in Christ. It symbolized the rest from our works, baptism, Lord's Supper, giving. It symbolized the rest from our works and an interest into the rest of God, salvation provided by the work of Jesus Christ. Now, then he says this, Finally, although the moral principles expressed in the commandments, Ten Commandments, are reaffirmed in the New Testament. The command to set aside Saturday as a part of rest and worship is the only commandment not repeated. Here's what he's saying. Every one of these Ten Commandments, maybe not exactly repeated word for word, every one of these Ten Commandments is reaffirmed by a principle in the New Testament. But there's one commandment he does not reaffirm. There's one commandment He leaves out in the New Testament, and that is the Sabbath day. So let me tell you what that means. Now, I know sometimes we say the Sabbath day, and we understand what we're saying, but really, there is no more Sabbath day. The Jews called it the Lord's day when they got saved. This really is not the Christian Sabbath. This is today the Lord's day. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, let me show you the... uh, Let me go ahead and skip to this. The application of the Sabbath. We explained it. The word Sabbath means to stop and rest for the Lord. The transformation of the Sabbath, it happened on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we shifted from Saturday to Sunday to the Lord's Day. Now, let's talk about the application of the Sabbath. Let me just... Uh, jump to this. In other words, how do we apply this today since we no longer have the Sabbath? where We're to use the day to rest. Can I say this? Sunday is a day of rest. For 99% of us, Sunday is the best day to rest, to cease. Now, guess what I do on Saturday. I really don't rest. i Excuse me, on Sunday. I really don't rest on Sunday, right? This is Super Bowl for me every Sunday. I go home absolutely exhausted. So you know what I do? Friday is my day off. I rest. I need a day off. That's my Sabbath day. But I use the day to rest. I try to disconnect from the church. I try to disconnect for everything. I try, that's our day to chill, okay? Now, look what uh, the Bible, not the Bible, but a great quote says right here. Rest is a weapon given to us by God. The enemy, that's the devil, hates it because he wants you stressed and occupied. God wants you to have a chill day. You need it. You need it to rest your body. You'll burn out. You will not be effective. You'll be stressed out unless you take a day to chill. Okay? Your body needs it. Your soul needs it. Now here's the next thing is, use the day to fellowship. You know, the Bible says that we're to worship together. The Bible says, don't don't neglect meeting together as that are habit of some that are skipping church. Don't forget church. And encourage one another as fellowship. And all the more since the day of Jesus is returning. Guess what? We are commanded to rest. We are commanded to be in the house of God one day a week. We have it here on Sunday, following the Lord's day. And then here's another thing. Use the day to worship. Not just to chill at home. Not just to gather your family around to fellowship, but to worship with God's people. Praise the Lord, all you peoples, as we gather together with Him. I tell you what, I came from a great background of people who observed the Lord's day. One of my relatives, here's what he did. He would have company come over from time to time. But he would tell that company, now it's Sunday, You're welcome to go worship with me. But y'all can stay at home because I'm going to go to the house of God and worship on the Lord's Day. That was uh, also my mom's side of the family. I, I don't know if that was... I think it was like a great, great something from what I can remember. But let me tell you about Papa on my mother's side. He died when he was 96 years old. He was born in 1896. He saw Civil War veterans when he was a boy at the nursing home. Civil War veterans. Who saw George Washington. Isn't that amazing? So here's Papa. He's 96 years old. He always observed he never missed going to church unless he was sick. But he woke up one Sunday morning, went out there. It's cold. It's sleeting. He cranked his car up and couldn't get his car cranked. Ninety-something years old at the time. He might have been 91 or 92. Could not get his car cranked. And I'll be honest with you. If I was him and I was just a church member, I'd say, well, I guess I'm just going to have to miss the day. But you know what he did? He got on his coat and walked in his 90s over a mile to church when it was sleeting. Because he saw it so important to go to church. He sat down at that church. Now here's the amazing thing about it. He had already lost his hearing. He could not hear the music. He could not hear the singing. He could not hear the preaching. I mean, barely. He couldn't understand it. But guess what? He saw the Lord's Day is so important that he walked a mile and a half in his 90s. He got a cold after that. He was freezing when he got in there. And I want to tell you, don't tell me you can't make it to church. If it's a priority in your life, you'll move hell and high water to get to the house of God. Right, Robert? You will. It's a matter of priorities. And so, listen to what... A fellow said, if you give your time to the Redeemer, the Redeemer will redeem your time. If you don't give God your Sunday, you'll be stressed out. You'll have more work to do during the week. But if you'll give God His day, guess what He'll do? He'll multiply the time in your other days. Do you believe that? Use the day to worship. Let me read to you what a friend of mine, he's actually a professor, and he's a friend of mine. Here's what he said. Like the early church, we commemorate the resurrection of Christ by engaging in corporate worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. It is right and reasonable to use this day of rest in which we cease from labor that is not a work of necessity or of mercy. People at hospitals, work of necessity. It's going to rain on... Hey, guess what? It's going to... Not literally, but let's just say it's going to rain on Monday and your grass is this high... It's all right to go out and cut your grass, okay? That's a a work of necessity or of mercy. Individual issues and questions about whether we should not engage in a game of touch football or watch TV on Sunday are best left to the individual conscience with the admonition that we strive for maximum conformity and intention of God and not the minimum. You know what that means? If somebody goes out and you see them playing softball at church, don't you sit there and say, well, I can't believe they're playing softball on Sunday. Listen, that's between them and God. Some people rest well when they go play a game of softball on Sunday afternoon. Some people have to do something on Sunday afternoon. Cut the grass or something, but don't make that your norm. Sometimes it's a necessity you have to do that. Don't you judge people and say, I can't believe it, the preacher's out there cutting grass on Sunday. Now, that really, I can't remember when that's really happened with me, but I guarantee you one thing if, if it's going to rain uh, tomorrow, I hadn't even looked at the forecast, if it's going to rain tomorrow, you know what I'm going to have to do this afternoon? I'm going to have to cut my grass. And don't you say, Brother Jeff's out there cutting his grass, okay? That's what he means by that. Now here's a final word, and then we're done. Romans said this about judging other people, how they keep the Lord's day. Or other things. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another. While others think that every day is alike. Each person should have a personal conviction about this matter. Now here's what God says in the Ten Commandments. He says this about going to church. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, set apart in your week. Now would you bow your heads in prayer with me? I hope God spoke to you this morning primarily about this day is not yours. It benefits you, but it's not yours. It has got to be a priority in your life to be in the house of God on Sunday with the people of God? You know why? Because He wants you to hear from Him every week. Have you heard from Him this morning? Maybe the first commitment you need to make is God, I'm going to be in the house of God every Sunday unless I'm sick. Unless there's a death in my family. I'm going to be there every single Sunday at least at the morning service. And the Sunday evening and the uh, Wednesday, you know what that is? That's a cake on the icing. I mean, that's the icing on the cake. And you'll grow more. You'll get closer to God more if you'll even be faithful on Sunday night and Wednesday night. So that's the first commitment you need to make. Lord, I'm going to make this a priority in my life. From now on, I'm not going to miss a Sunday unless I'm sick, Or, unless there's a death in my family, I'm gonna be there. Now, here's the second thing. Have you ever trusted in the fact that Jesus did all the work for you to go to heaven? And that you ceased trusting in yourself and now you trust in Him? If you haven't done that, I'm gonna invite you to say a prayer with me right where you are. Lord Jesus, I cease trusting in baptism, Lord's Supper, doing good, giving, even church attendance. God, I don't trust in that anymore. Now I put my total trust in what you did on the cross for me. I cease trusting what I can do. I trust now completely in what you did for me 2,000 years ago to save me. Now you may not have said all those words. That's okay. Okay. Here's what you need to do. Just say, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me, Lord Jesus. And here's what you need to do if you pray that prayer Do you believe you got saved here this morning. I'm going to be standing here at the front. Jesus said, if you were to confess Him before men. Now, I'm not going to make you say anything, but here's what you need to do. As soon as we start singing this hymn, you need to immediately, don't delay, get out of that pew. Come up to here to me and say, Brother Jeff, I got saved here. Or maybe I got saved before, but I've never let people know I've been saved, I've been born again. I'm going to invite you to do that here this morning. Now Father, would you seal these words in our heart? For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our invitation hymn. You come on that first verse. Here it goes. All to Jesus. Eyes.